0: Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Unprofessional, your favorite podcast, I hope. Uh, <laughs> I'm Dave Wiskus, joined by my friend, Mr. Lex Friedman. Thank you for calling me Mr. Lex Friedman. I appreciate that. Mr. Lex. Well, I'm going by your license plate. Yeah. Mr. Lex. And our guest today, uh, Mr. <laughs> Paul Kent. Hey, Dave. Hey, Lex.
1: Hi, and,
2: and is Mr. Paul Kent your <laughs> license plate, Paul? Um, it's actually a 734928 if you want to use that. <laughs> I, and that's
1: what I've legally changed my name to. I'm announcing that today. It's cheaper than a vanity plate. <laughs> Probably still available on Twitter, too. <laughs> but, Paul, um, I mean, Dave and I obviously are, I want to say, intimately familiar with you because that's the most uncomfortable way to phrase it. Uh, so, but tell the listeners,
2: who are you? Who is Paul Kent? So, I've been doing Macro for quite a few years. So, for those who don't know me, starting in 1996. I was the conference chair for Macworld for 10 years, and then starting in 2006, I've been the general manager at Macworld. So that, that event that people love to come to called Macworld iWorld, I'm the guy who puts that on with a great team.
0: And I think I speak for Lex and I both when we say when I say that we are huge fans. Well, I appreciate that.
2: I Yeah, I I, I can't believe that I'm only,
1: I think I've only attended three Macworlds, but uh, I've
2: loved every single one. I'm excited. We've got a really cool show coming up soon at the end of January. So a lot of new things, a lot of new people, a lot of new products. So every year has been really interesting. We get lots of nice notes from people about what they love about the show. We get lots of not-so-nice notes from people about what they would like to see at the show. <laughs> but it's all good. I mean, it's fun. It's really kind of the gathering of, of uh, you know guys like you and many others like you, uh, people who love Apple products and love the Apple industry. Yeah, amongst the people who uh,
0: I was going to say the the people in our, our industry, but at least the people who matter, uh, MacWorld is considered to be like a go. You have to go. It's just a foregone conclusion. You don't even think about it. You just go. Well, it, right. you know,
2: as our business has changed over the last couple of years, with, with Apple no longer doing the event, it's become that kind of thing where the social aspects of it, and you know, the people who come from all over the country, all over the world that are in the the industry. You know, we get we get press people, trade people from across Europe, from across Latin America, across Asia, and it has kind of become that. It's become a, a different type of vibe, but it serves a really unique purpose, and people seem to kind of like what it's becoming, and, and we're really proud of that.
0: And I know that during Macworld, or towards the end of, what is it, on Fridays usually Cirque du Mac?
2: Uh, it's different every year. This year it'll be Friday night at Cirque to Mac, right? And you're, you're in the band. I'm in the Macworld All-Star Band. I play guitar and sing. Certain Mac being a, this big event where that that
1: that very Mac World All Star Band performs and rocks out uh, while fully clothed, and uh, <laughs> for the benefit of a, a loud <laughs> and sweaty and drunken audience
0: who is also fully clothed. Right.
2: The the party is put on by Dave Hamilton and the Mac Observer and Backbeat Media folks, and it started you know several years ago. Actually, the Mac World All Star Band started ten years ago. This is the tenth year that we've been doing this, uh, and originally it was at a, a party. That was just kind of an industry party at mackerel New York, and then Dave took it on about six years ago, I think uh where you know he was sponsoring and hosting the party and and getting all the sponsors and you know getting everybody you know to come to this it's really a lot of fun i mean it's it's always packed it's kind of a hot sweaty mess i mean it's people letting their hair down that might not ordinarily be letting their hair down. We have a lot of fun playing music, and we're just kind of a sideshow to the uh to kind of the fun activities that are going on as as people do kind of celebrate, if you will, meeting up face-to-face with people that they probably only have a virtual relationship the rest of the year.
1: What I have loved about the Cirque du Max I have attended is that the only people in the room who seem drunker to me than the, the customer, you know, the, the fans watching in the bar are the people on stage. That's what I love. <laughs>
2: that's, a, that's a great standard. I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> okay, I can confirm that. <laughs> this is unprofessional. If there
0: were ever a time to confirm something like that, it would be right now.
2: Who rounds out the band with you? Good. So it's Chris Breen from Macworld is our keyboard player. Dave Hamilton from Mac Observer is our drummer. Uh, Bob Levitas from Houston Chronicle primarily is another guitar player. Brian Chaffin from the Mac Observer is another guitar player. Uh, Dwayne Straub, who uh, it, it was a well-known end user in the industry. He used to work out at uh, Lawrence Livermore Labs, uh, Berkeley Labs actually, uh, is one of our bass players. And then Chuck Latornis is one of our bass players. So we have uh, you know kind of people coming and going on stage through the night. Multiple bass players. Not at the same time though, right? We haven't done that yet, although it's been discussed. (laughs) Be pretty bassy. Pretty bassy. When did you start playing guitar? I started playing guitar when I was 10 years old. And uh, the story is, I was a kid growing up in Rockland County, New York, and sports were everything to me. And I had a bad accident playing basketball when I was 10. And my mother wanted me out of her hair, and so she gave me guitar lessons. And so that's how I spent the winter of my 10th year, was learning to play guitar.
0: You haven't played since I was uh, 13 and... I don't know. It seems like my taste has changed quite a bit since then. I'm 31 now, and in the years between starting and and where I am now, I, I think my style has dramatically turned around.
2: What were you playing when you first started playing? I learned I
0: learned to play guitar by uh, by reading tablature books from Garth Brooks and Nirvana. <laughs> oh. See, I was totally rooting for dueling banjos. <laughs>
2: No, uh, it was like how, what better way to learn the bass open chords and bar chords than Garth Brooks and Nirvana. Did you ever mix the two up and like sing Garth songs in Kurt Cobain voice or anything like that?
0: Oh, I should do that. That'd be a great mashup. Totally. I I never got down the screaming, uh, on pitch thing that, that Kurt does or did. I am not convinced that I could name a single Garth Brooks song. Really? I'm sorry. Hasn't
1: Weird Al done a cover of one of those? No, he, I mean, he, he did a parody of, uh. Billy Ray Cyrus, a thousand years oh, ago. Oh, that's right. But I don't think I know any Garth Brooks songs. Friends
2: in low places. Everybody knows that.
1: I know that. The one. dance. I know the rodeo. I know friends in low places. I don't know the other things that you said. As if it's not bad enough that you haven't seen any movies, you also haven't listened to any. Hey, I've seen all three Indiana Jones movies. We ignore the fourth. I do not play the guitar. I can play the guitar one string at a time only. But, but <laughs> I um. I, uh, I had only if he's either strumming or fretting, he can't do what, what I remember about learning a musical instrument. I, I've played many instruments in my day, uh, Thursday, but when I first <laughs> played an instrument, uh, uh, you know, with a, a piano lesson, basically my mom said, Lex, your sister can't attend her panel lesson today. So you're going to go take it instead. And I thought this was a totally sneaky and backhanded way to try to get me to take panel lessons. And I became instantly uh, extremely opposed. So I had the one panel lesson with Ms. Schiffner who lived with her female friend. Uh, they were both, I don't know, 75 years old at a minimum. And Ms. Schiffner gave me this one lesson and I hated it mostly because I felt deceived into uh, being there in the first place. And I said, I'm never going back. And my parents really fought me hard on it. And I, I won that battle of wills and I didn't do more piano lessons. And then it, I, you know, I would mess around on the piano that we had in the house and. I could eventually, I figured out, you know, that if you played certain notes together, that they sounded nice and things like that. And I could eventually pick out the melodies of songs that I heard. But it wasn't really until college that I got serious about it. I can read music extremely slowly. I'm terrible at reading music, but I can definitely play now better than I could play then. I'm no Chris Breen on the keyboards, but uh, because he's an, a monster. <laughs> but uh, I'm not joking. Chris Breen is a freaking monster on the keyboards. He is, absolutely. But, um,
0: Do you have other instruments in your arsenals? I'm surrounded by instruments. I've got a keyboard to my right. I've got uh, one guitar to my left. I've got a full drum kit sitting around here. Uh, Six or seven other guitars, a bass. i got everything.
2: Yeah, I'm just a guitar player. I mean, I can find my way around a keyboard and block out chords, but pretty much guitar.
0: Well, you've been fortunate enough to find a competent band. I have not been that fortunate, so I've got to do all this stuff myself.
2: Playing with other people is really a lot of fun.
0: I miss it. I really do. Doing the the solo artist thing that I'm doing now, it's tough because I miss the collaboration. I miss having somebody to say, "Hey, wouldn't that sound better in C?" Or what if we did a little thing right here? Like having that that feedback, I miss it.
2: Yeah, band is to me it's a very communal thing. I mean, it's 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 about listening to other people and you know adding to a adding to a group effort, and that's kind of part of the rewarding part of it. And also, you know, it's almost get a lot of sports analogies with with musicians because. When a team works well together and then it translates and you get getting good feedback that an audience likes what you're doing, it's pretty cool. I mean, I suppose it's like anything. I mean, you can even map it to technology. When a bunch of engineers work together to come up with something beautiful or elegant, the rewarding, the rewarding aspects of it are, are really remarkable. Yeah, it's funny
0: you say that since I'm freelance now. I'm, I'm in a position of everything I do, I do by myself.
2: <laughs> I'm not going there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yes i'm saying you, you can't go there because then it wouldn't be by himself
1: but um yeah you know it's it's funny because you know obviously I, I write most of the day and writing tends to be most of the time very solitary too and then on occasion rarely but i would say probably maybe once or twice a month uh i'll write something with somebody else at macworld it's almost always dan Morin. And when Dan and I write together, we get in a Google hangout. Are in
0: love with him. Yes.
1: We get in a Google Hangout. We video chat. We have the the document there in the Google window so we can both type into it at the same time or whatever. And it's it's totally different. And you know, usually I mean when he and I write together it's totally bizarre, but it's you're right though, that it's it's very collaborative, you know, where he'll be working on one paragraph and I'll be working on the one that's going to come after it. Cause I know the point he's going to make, and then we'll just trade and go back and tweak everything. And we end up just, I, I don't want to say we make each other's writing better because to me that implies that I'm saying that Dan Morin's writing is bad before I touch it, which is true, but I don't want to say it. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, you know, you definitely, it's not just that you get, you know, this is the product of what two people who are good at what they do can create. It's you, you get a new thing that doesn't exist unless you're doing that collaboration. So I can see how that would apply to, uh, a lot of creative pursuits.
0: Yeah. If you're working with somebody that's good, they're going to push you. They're going to push you to do things that you either hadn't thought of or that you wouldn't think of, or you wouldn't, uh, I don't know, feel the freedom to do otherwise.
2: Yeah. It's a lot harder to grow in your craft. If you're solitary all the time, you do need that extra, that outside influence, that outside perspective. And, and like Dave said, if, if that can be from someone who's really accomplished in their field, you know, you're doing all you can to keep up, to add something to their, to their life, to their contribution. So, I, you know, I think there's place for both, and I think all creative people need to be in their head sometimes, but, uh, there's a spark that comes from working with someone that you're collaborative with and that you, you know, you have, you have good chemistry with, and clearly, Lex, you and, you and Dan have good chemistry. <laughs> He'll resent you for saying that, but I appreciate it <laughs>
0: <laughs> for me. I, my brain is a machine and it, it runs on external forms of validation. I need that. So having some kind of, having some kind of feedback, even, and this is why I started airplane mode. I got tired of playing stuff by myself recording and then doing nothing with it. Like I want to hear what people think. I want to hear, do people like it? Are people buying this stuff? Is it good? Should I change things? Cause just me, me
2: alone, I'll never know. Yeah, I'm kind of the, I, I, I would be the equivalent of a gym rat of a musician. Like my band here in the Bay Area, you know, we practice every week. We play about 50 shows a year. And, and even when we practice, even when we take breaks, I don't take breaks. I kind of sit in the practice room and strum on other things and, you know, just kind of tweak things and work and work and work. But but it's, those practices are just as enjoyable to me as, as performing because it's 10 guys you know, who are trying to get it all on the same page, and it's a pretty big band, so it's a challenge, but it's very, very cool. And, and um, all the different ten, yeah, we have a ten-piece band here in the Bay Area called the House Holy Rockers. Holy shit! Yeah, five horns. That's not a band. That's an orchestra. Wow.
1: wow! Is it like a is it is it an event? Is it an event band? Like, do they what kind of gigs is it? Is it like weddings and bar mitzvahs, or is it something else? <laughs> so well, I think a ten-piece yeah, band—that's what I think of.
2: Yeah. So the House Rockers are. We play, like I said, about fifty shows a year. Out here in California, i don 't know where you guys are, but we have a lot of these. Every town has a summer concert series where where we can play, and some of these for are for as many as three, four five thousand people. Most towns around here have some kind of summer art and wine festival that there's music at and then we play a couple nightclubs you know around the area through the year. We do a lot of special events, corporate events you know when we 're hired for them. but um but primarily, you know, we do these civic concert series. We do about twenty-five of those a year, which is really fun because, you know, it's two, three, four, five thousand people staring at us for a couple hours, and we get wow. to really play what we like to play. When
1: Dave, when when you were talking about the, you know, that you started airplane mode because you wanted the feedback, I feel like that mentality, which I think is very common, is the cause of the worst part of the internet which is surprisingly (laughs) not the pornography, but the, the comments like, you know, comments are notoriously terrible in most places, most of the time, because people who are anonymous on the internet are uh, douchebags. But, I feel like, you know, people had blogs and you don't want to be writing out into a vacuum, right? You want to know what, what do, how are people responding to what I have to say? Are you going to, to praise me for my genius that I have spilled onto the virtual page? Or are you going to challenge me or whatever? And so I feel like that's, it's because of that need that we all have that, that everything on the internet or everybody on the internet at least
0: wants the ability to comment on sites. And that's, I don't know. Comments off always. And it's not that I don't still get feedback. I do. I I get tons of feedback on airplane mode on my own blog. Everything that I do that would, I mean, I guess Twitter has replies, so that's inherently comments, but most of the feedback I get from the things that I do come through people sending me emails or if I, if I see friends when I'm out, they'll, they'll make a comment about something. I don't really believe that people are at their best when they're filling out a comment form.
1: I do want to throw out apropos of almost nothing that I also play, uh, the harmonica and the melodica and
0: the kazoo
1: i don't play the kazoo are you a good harmonica player i'm a pretty good harmonica player um i got a book when i was in high school about playing the harmonica because i decided i wanted to know how to play and now i have a million in every key and i i'm no john popper but i can i can get my way around a harmonica (laughs) that sounded
0: weird what do you what do you do with that play the harmonica I guess. <laughs> are, are you gonna like are you gonna jump into an open box car and ride the rails across the country playing oh dude harmonica. you're selling
2: harmonica short man it's you know it's a folk instrument right <laughs> well, sure
0: sure and there, there's music i love that has harmonicas in it right i just don't it's hard to imagine somebody playing that as their primary instrument i guess is what i'm saying
1: right well i mean i could never play it as my primary instrument because <sighs> I, I I like you. I most of the music that I've done in my life, I have done solo. And if I were playing it as my primary instrument, I couldn't also sing. And it would be. I feel like a solo harmonica performance is a little bit boring. <laughs> <laughs> and can you do all that cool stuff, like like
2: bending notes and wah wah and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. I got. I mean, I haven't. The truth is, I almost never pick up any of the harmonicas in my home uh, anymore. But when I was active, I was I I, I could do all those things. And I feel like those things are probably easier to learn if you have a teacher, somebody who's next to you and showing you. Or maybe now it's easy to learn because you can watch videos on the internet and sort of play them back over and over again. When I was doing it as a junior high schooler in my bedroom with a book that I was trying to explain, you know, blow like this, it was hard. It was. It was – shut up, Dave. It was hours of blowing to get that right in my room alone, just blowing and blowing and blowing.
2: I love that stuff. Like I'm a huge Springsteen fan. And him solo acoustic with a harmonica, Neil Young solo acoustic with a harmonica. I'm really into Ryan Adams. He plays a lot of solo acoustic with, with a harmonica. It's a great accompaniment instrument. Yes. I just
1: love anybody who will perform with one of those headgear things with a harmonica yeah. in it. And they have to go back and forth and they're playing the guitar at the same time. Like That to me is that's better than a that. one-man band. That's just the epitome of
0: awesome. Yeah. The truth, I I kind of poked at it, but the truth is, if I if I'm going to learn another instrument, it's probably going to be harmonica. There you go. I'll make some YouTube videos for you. Will you uh, do me a favor and make the videos while wearing a slanket? Yes, I will do that. <laughs> okay.
2: Have you seen that video that's going around now? That's um, it's what a what a sound engineer does, and it, the video it, it's been on Facebook getting a little bit viral, but it's like a a, a manager in in the control room with a sound engineer. And, like steam is coming off the sky as he 's tweaking all these knobs as <laughs> as the woman behind the the, the um, window is singing, and it sounds beautiful. And then they, you know, the video is the guy, the engineer is just like twisting, twisting knobs, sweating, steam's coming off them. And then they kind of go into the actual performance room and the woman is horribly off key. I mean, she's just absolutely <laughs> horrible. And the whole video is about how this engineer, you know, <laughs> makes something sound beautiful is what an engineer does.
0: That's awesome. The unsung hero. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Okay,
0: that, That's an interesting, uh, I, I don't want to even say debate because it's kind of just you accept it these days. But uh, tuning, vocal tuning.
2: Hate it. Absolutely against it. Yeah, I hate it. I, you know, to me music is a is an experience of someone transmitting something real and as soon, the more you take the real out of it, the less enjoyable it is for me. Now, clearly a lot of people don't care, but for me, you know, I I get my art from from an artist communicating something that's exactly how he's communicating it. I used to be very staunchly anti auto tune or
0: anything like that. And what I came to was my job as the artist is, is to try to, or I shouldn't even say my job, what I'm hoping to do as an artist is to capture the idea that I have in my head in the best way possible. And sometimes that means instead of using an acoustic guitar, I'm using an electric guitar. And sometimes that means I'm using all sorts of effects, like uh, like phase shifting and chorus effects. And I'm doing all these things. I also have to accept the fact that if I want to capture the best possible representation, uh, I, I might not be capable of doing that
2: vocally without some
0: computer assistance
2: i 'm more saying that you know the music that resonates with me is a little bit more holistically delivered and and like I said, many, many people you know don't have an issue with it. I think you know maybe maybe more musicians would like to say the 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 concept of of delivering something musically has to do with doing it right, and I can understand that purist view, but you know i 'll give you a good example. My wife hates Bob Dylan with a passion; she just cannot understand. <laughs> how anybody gets into Dylan. And I'll say, well, what about this song? You know, all the songs that she'll know that someone else had, had done. She'll go, I like that song. I like that song. I like that song. And so, you know, I can show her that, that Dylan is, you know, something special. But once I hear, she hears Dylan sing it, she goes crazy. But to me, Dylan's interpreting a story that he wants to tell us. And and I, I find that magical. So that, that's kind of what does it for me. So I'm not an auto-tune guy. I get that for other people and for this dance music and electronic music, you know, a lot of times, <laughs> you know, it seems to have a place, but I kind of like those people who just give you something from the heart.
1: You're clearly Paul into into the live music performance, especially. Do you when you record music, will you punch in? You know, will you do another take if something goes wrong? Not vote. Well, absolutely, but you know, I won't. I won't auto tune it. Right. So, so, but I think what I'm thinking is. I am okay with auto tune when it's used for the same purpose that a punch in would be on a note. So if I, you know, if you come in a quarter tone flat and I can just fix it right now because everything else about that take was perfect and I don't want to punch in an extra yes. time, I don't have a problem with that. But if you can't sing without auto tune, then I have a big problem with it. If you cannot oh, perform that song live and pull it
0: off live, then I'm totally disappointed in your use of auto tune. I, I so can, I, of course, I'll buy into that. And uh, when I when I perform live, I would never use any kind of trickery like that. I would never uh try to tune it because frankly uh, what I do is uh asp- at least it asp- aspires to be rock and roll and rock and roll is about the mistakes. It's about fucking up. And if I'm on stage and there's big loud guitars and big loud drums and I'm you know screaming my head off, then it doesn't matter if it's 100% on pitch. Uh the the truth of the matter though is with recordings, I'm competing for people's one dollar, or at least for people's, you know, three four minutes uh, against all these bands who do this super perfection stuff in the studio. And if if I don't, uh, twenty years ago it would have sounded great. Today, in a sea of
2: of perfectly tuned vocals everywhere, it it sounds especially wrong. What what would you do live? If if you if you can't get it down recorded, can, are you saying you can get it done live?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah, happy to happy to play live without any kind of tuning. Not even sure how I would do tuning. Uh, but that's, that's part of the live performance. And when you're in, when you're listening to a live performance, if you're, if you're at a show and you're listening to the band on stage, you're not as critical about that sort of thing. But when you can hit pause and then play a part on loop and you hear it for the 800th time, and there's something that's just, you know, not just, I mean, if if something's horrible, something's horrible, but if there's one note that's just very clearly wrong, it doesn't, I don't know. It sort of takes you out of the song, at least for me, if I can't do it, then I can't do it and I'm not going to fake it. But if I'm like what Lex was saying, if I'm doing a vocal take and every single note was perfect except for one thing I hit flat, then
2: I don't mind fixing one flat note. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, but I think the people that have that rely on auto tune and it then becomes part of their sound I, that's the stuff I can't relate oh to. You know, and then there's, there's, yep. th- there's a lot of artists that, that, you know, let's just get it close enough and don't worry about the tonal qualities of yeah. it. And I, I, I don't know, that, to me, that's right. not making music. That's getting close. No, I agree, I agree with I agree. you. That's that's like that's
1: you know it's something artificial, and it's the fact that you know these kids today like it really bugs me because it's it's <laughs> it's a d- very different way to experience music, if you even want to call it music. It's some it's it's something else. It's like it's the processed food of music, and you know I was thinking that I can go to a live show and really enjoy it because, like Dave was referencing, you know. All of those one-off mistakes are gone the second that they happen. So if you, know, if you hit the wrong chord, you sing the wrong note, it's A, it, it, it brings you more into the fact of th- this is a live moment, this is happening now thing, and then B, like you know it's, it's vanished, it's in the past already. You can get a recording of that same show home, and depending on the artist or depending on the night that that band was having, sometimes you'll, you know, it'll still be a great recording and you're amazed at how great this band yelled live that night. And sometimes you'll be like, man, I can't believe I thought this was a good show because they were really off that night. Once you have the actual recording, you can play it and you hear the same Mistakes repeated every time you play that track,
2: it uh, it takes on a different effect. But I'll tell you, I have a lot, a lot of live material, a lot of bootleg recordings, and the thing is, is that live event is about that moment. I mean, that's that's the exchange that's going on. And if you had a good time, I, it wouldn't bug me at all. It wouldn't diminish that the moment that I had. If I lift listen to something a second, third, fourth, tenth time to find, you know, oh, here comes that note again if if in the moment i mean it's a different beast a live performance a different art a live exactly. performance that's cool no,
0: you're you're absolutely right it's a it's a completely different beast a live performance and if i'm if i'm listening to a live record and i hear a band make a a small mistake i can kind of laugh it off as being part of that moment and that's rock and roll if i'm listening to a record my expectations are different oh, if for they went sure. into the studio and they sat down and they had you know 100 takes or whatever it is to get this right and they still didn't I would I lose respect for them as musicians, you know. And at the same time, I have sometimes heard
1: albums that sound studio albums that sound overprocessed. Where there's it's, and I mean I'm I'm definitely not an expert in these things, but where if everything is without flaw then it's, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, your Justin Bieber albums. I'm talking about, you know, bands that have, you know, that, that can perform great and sound great live. When, when everything is a little bit too clean and too perfect, it takes, it, it feels too theatrical for me some of the time. So
0: I'm not saying they have to fake in mistakes, but you know, it's, I, not everything has to be fixed. Here's my rule. If I'm tweaking something, if I'm, if I'm tuning something in vocals, if I have to, if I'm just off, And I have to move it because I can't do another take for one reason or another. Maybe it's too late. I live in an apartment. Uh, So my number of takes is always going to be a little bit limited. (laughs) If I'm going to tune something, I will tune it just shy of perfect. I will not get the note dead on. I'm going to leave a little bit of mistake in there just to make it sound more human. I've said that um, Instagram is the auto-tune of photos. And I think it, it, it works the other way around. And it has this effect of being you get so used to hearing it that you don't think of it anymore. It just becomes part of the music. And at least for somebody like me, I'm imagining Paul, that you're the same way you hear that, that auto tune sound and it it's like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Th-
2: those music that features it and, and tries to take a, a bug and turn it into a feature that that's kind of irritating, but you know, the stuff like what you described, Dave, that is like, you know, I've done this enough. It It's, it's a, a, a couple of, percent away from the perfect note and i want it to be the perfect note i'm just going to fix it here i guess you know my thought is is that's probably done universally now and um you know that would be more acceptable but um you know like i said music to me is about an expression between an artist you know all art right whether you're writing Tech articles, or you're writing novels, or you're or you're making films. All art is about an expression of truth between the person who conceives it and the person they want to communicate it for.
1: I will say, of the things I hate in music today, auto tune is not the top. It's the it's the second one on my list. The thing I What's hate top? the most is, uh, besides the you know the insipid of most of the lyrics, the insipidness of most of the the lyrics and song creation <laughs> in general is the. Uh... I, I hate overperformed vocals where every note has to have a trill oh, followed yeah. by 10 other trills Good one. on every line. It, it's, to me it's it's and, and, and they're all learning it from each other. They're all and all the different singers are emulating and attempting to outdo each other and it's it's exactly the wrong thing to focus on I think in performance and recording or whatever else it's just I hate it. It kills
0: me. Yeah, this We sound like the
1: old
2: guys right now. We are the There's old guys. The kids these days with their rock and roll <laughs> and they're auto-tuned. What do you think that started with? Christina Aguilera probably back in the, oh, back she's in the 90s. She's definitely
1: patient zero for the, the worst of it.
2: <laughs> I'm, yeah. Well, I mean, when she did it, it was moderately interesting but that everybody tries to do it and does it quite poorly is, or, or many people do it quite poorly. And it's really bad for amateur singers because there's nothing worse than that when someone who can't do it does it or tries. He, he, oh, I
0: thought you were going to say it's bad because it makes it that much harder. For amateur singers to try to emulate that
1: doesn't seem to stop them. Right, <laughs> fair and point. You just hear the um, you know, when you when you watch. I mean, I don't watch these shows, but when you see the commercials for American Idol and others of that ilk, and they're all trying to do that. Or when people can't sing the national anthem before, when, when you feel like you have to make the national anthem your own before a ball game, that's everything that's wrong with America. I mean, that's everything that's wrong with the music because there's no. <sighs> The way to to make it your own is to not make it your own. Just sing it and yeah. and put your soul and performance into it and make it be awesome for me. But don't fuck up every single note to show me how great a singer you are.
0: These kids today with their
1: Dan Fogelberg. <laughs> the only band I listen to is um, if I remember the name of that band you like, Dave. I was going to say it now is Jump Little Children.
0: That's the only band I yeah, listen to. Yeah, there you go.
1: It's not true, but I was trying for you. Great callback.
0: Yeah, you know, I, that's, that's an interesting point though. When I was a kid and I was learning to play guitar, uh, I mean, Garth Brooks was an easy one because there were easy songs and I'd kind of heard them on the radio and I was familiar. The music that I listened to when I learned to play guitar though, I listened to a lot of Nirvana. I listened to, and it was 92, 93 when I picked up a guitar. And, I, of course, I was listening to the stuff that was on the radio, the, like that, the, the grunge stuff. And I've been going through recently and getting way back into that, like listening to a lot. I've been listening to a ton of like Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and Nirvana for the last couple of weeks. I've been on this weird 90s nostalgia kick. But between then and now, my musical taste has changed a lot. And now I listen to stuff that's way more melodic, like Drump Little Children. They, they have like a string section in that band. That's not something I would have listened to when I was 13.
1: Dave, we should pause for a moment to acknowledge this episode's sponsor, which is Harvest. You with me on that? I guess. All right. Well, here's (laughs) let me convince you. Harvest, uh, they're at getharvest.com, by the way. But Harvest lets you track time painlessly from wherever you are. So they've got the iOS stuff. They've got the Mac stuff. You can get it on the web. But wherever you are, you can track time. Uh, so that if you're a freelancer, which I believe one of us is, Dave, this is true. Y- you can generate beautiful, professional invoices for your clients with all the time perfectly tracked. You can get automated payment reminders so that you can not have to deal with constantly hassling people yourself to, you know, pay you. You get all the different kinds of time reporting and, and project budgeting breakdowns because it, it logs all the stuff that you log into it, so that you can manage your projects, track everything you're doing and, and know who's getting what from you in terms of time and who owes you what in terms of money. And time and money are like two of my favorite things, which is,
0: you know, why getharvest.com is a place that I visit almost every day. I'm looking at the website right now. I think uh, I use something else for this right now, and I think I'm going to switch. I, I, once again, no joke. I wouldn't say that just for the sponsor. I would say nothing. Uh, I, th- I honestly think I'm going to switch to using this instead of what I'm currently using.
1: It's it's pretty beautiful. I mean, they've done they've clearly focused a lot on design, and it's not like use your iPhone and you can use a, a mobile optimized app. It's like we
0: have an actual app. Well, the uh, and I'm not going to mention the competitor that I'm using, but I'm really unhappy with them. And uh, the, the the thing on the website, this is fast and fast invoicing and payments. thats uh, That would make my life really easy right now.
1: Yeah. And the nice thing is they've got a free trial when you go to getharvest.com. I don't think we have a custom URL. Listen, if you want to go support us, uh, they didn't tell us a custom URL. So if you want to go support us, go to the unprofessional website, muleradio.net, and click on unprofessional, and click on the link there because that will have all the fancy, magical tracking the stuff for Harvest ones.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a very long URL, so I can't. I don't want to give out the whole thing, but go and click on it on the website. And But I mean, it's a free 30-day trial, so if you're a freelancer, if you do any kind of contract work, uh, you're an idiot if you don't go <laughs> to getharvest.com and check them out. I don't want to be an idiot. Right. You know what else
0: people should do? No. I have absolutely no idea what you're going to say next. <laughs> you know, I always, I always do this, and I think that instead of telling people that they should follow us on Twitter and uh, like us on Facebook and... Uh, give us a good rating on iTunes. Instead of any of that, I just want to thank our listeners. I want to skip over the asking for anything and just say thank you because we we're holding steady at a really good rating on iTunes right now, and it seems like people like the show. And uh, I'm I'm happy that people are happy, and it's just it's a it's a thrill that people are enjoying this, and I appreciate all the support.
1: Does that mean that I can't even say something like it's slash unprofesh on Twitter and Facebook? Like we're not even going to mention that this time?
0: No, no, we're not going to mention that at all.
1: And we're not going to mention, hey, five star ratings on iTunes really mean a lot to us. Uh, no, I don't think we should say any of that. I think that we should just say thank you. Well, thank you. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> what do you listen to, Lex? Well, the, well, I mean, I've talked about the music I listen to on the show before, and what's interesting to me is that the artists I listened to as a
0: kid are still the ones I focus on today. People like They Might Be Giants, and but uh, that's those are specific bands, and I wouldn't even say that's a style. That's not. I mean, it's comedic music but it's not like genre specific uh, yeah. unless you think of funny as a genre oh i don't I think
1: don't... if they might be giants is funny um i think of the i mean the music that i listen to much of it with the exception of al probably falls into uh largely falls into i think a folk rock label much of it does at least um but
0: singer songwriter stuff
1: right I'm very I'm very lyrics focused first. I really I, if I can't enjoy the lyrics, it's 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 the, you know with women if you don't have if a girl doesn't have a pretty face, then you know a great body won't do it for me anyway because I'm I'm all about the face and with music I'm all about the lyrics. If I don't like the lyrics, then I have a harder time enjoying the song. But what I think I is, guarantee
0: you somebody is going to be angry that you said
1: that. Um, that's okay. Um, okay. Whoever it is probably has an ugly face. But the <laughs> the thing that <laughs> I think is worst about. Boom. The thing that I think wow. is worst about my music knowledge today, and I'm okay with it. I'm not embarrassed about it, but I understand that it is, uh, it's embarrassed worthy, let's say, is how much music I was introduced to only because I heard the Al Yangific parody first. So, for, for popular music, I should say, that I, I wouldn't have known otherwise, I, I knew the song because Al parodied it. That happened a lot. That's kind of sad. That's but, weird. I'm okay with it. <laughs>
0: It's I just I can't imagine that being the main avenue that by which I I procure new music. So what you're saying is
2: that the, the if the parody was good, it piqued your interest enough to go and find out what the source was? Exactly.
1: If I didn't recognize the what what was being parodied, I had to seek it out and hear the song. Um and that I mean that that didn't happen with every song he parodied many times I knew, but it wasn't until the early 2000s when he released an album where I already knew all the original songs that he was parodying when i got the album that i had already had familiarity with him before i heard any of his parodies so, um so in that sense yes he, there definitely were times where i would hear a parody say i don't know this original song i must seek it out mostly because i wanted to appreciate the parody better and then a lot of the times i would end up liking the original song as well i
0: still can't
2: use ebay without hearing the his ebay song nice you're kind of more of a, a parody purist than a music purist
1: well I mean I like a lot of
2: original music only (laughs)
1: musicians Um, but what I I like is musicians who are serious about what they do but don't take themselves too seriously like for me I I like Bob Dylan and I can respect what he does but I don't own any Bob Dylan there's none in my iTunes library because I feel like he takes himself very seriously and for me for whatever reason because I'm a dick I guess that's hard for me where the Beatles I feel like they I mean at times some of them did take things extremely seriously but I feel like the Beatles as a performer unit were serious about wanting to make awesome music, but did anything but take themselves seriously. And I think that you hear that in the music, and that's that's what appeals to me.
2: So like I said, I'm, I'm a huge Springsteen fan, and one of my favorite Springsteen quotes is, is that he feels his job is at the same time to communicate it that it's the most important thing in the world and the most frivolous thing in the world that is what he does when he performs live. I like that.
0: Right. Yeah, that's good. I'm reading Gillette's new book, and he talks about show business and how the hardest working people in show business still don't work nearly as hard as people who have real jobs.
1: Right. And how it pisses them off when they talk about, "Man, it's so hard. I work so <laughs> hard. I was on a set for 15 hours." Say, "Okay, you were on a set for 15 hours a day, but you were on a set."
0: Yeah, you you were doing nothing. Right, you're standing around most of the time. It's not that's not hard work. And I guess I can see the other side of that, where I've had days where i was in a recording studio and a 15-hour day in a recording studio, you you come away from it you're just exhausted but the truth is it's not like i was breaking rocks with my hands for 15 hours perspective yeah it's not like i have a real job that
1: book is every day is an atheist holiday and everybody should go buy it and read it
0: yeah that's absolutely
2: true did you see that book that came out today that was um uh the dude and the zen master it's this book about about the big lebowski (laughs) it looks really cool i did not see that dude in the
0: zen i'll have to check that out too. I've been reading tons. Uh, I can we. I don't know if I can talk about this. I don't know if you can talk about this, Lex. I Go find that I do. I do so much more reading when I buy iBooks on my phone.
1: That's you know I um I read way more because I own a Kindle than I ever did before I owned a Kindle, and part of it is because I can also read when I'm on my iPad or iPhone because I'll I'll steal a page or two whenever I get a moment. Mm-hmm and yeah the fact that it's whatever device i have near me can access my book even if it's my mac i have the kindle app i'm one of like five people who use the kindle app for mac but if i find that i have five minutes it's near the end of my lunch break or something and i'm there with my mac and the ipad's in the other room or the kindle's upstairs i'll just fire it up on the mac and
0: read a couple pages before i go back to work Whatever it's uh i feel you whenever i have a free moment my phone is already in my pocket i've already got it with me yeah so reading on my phone is it's you know, these tiny little pages one at a time. It makes it super easy to read. So I'll go through a book in a couple of days without even thinking about it. I haven't, so haven't gotten to that place yet. Reading. That's weird. <laughs> it's it's now that I've gotten there and I've embraced reading books on my phone. I love it. <laughs> I read in the shower. You take your phone in the shower?
1: You don't take your iPhone
0: in the shower. Yeah, Ziploc bag.
1: I think you're lying. No, I'm dead serious. I know Penn Jillette puts his Kindle in a Ziploc bag and reads in the bathtub.
0: Ever drop it? I've uh, fortunately never dropped it. Even if I did, though, it's in a, zip- a Ziploc bag. I'd be okay.
1: Now, Dave, when I when I see it, macro, I'll try to bring a uh, a waterproof iPhone case with me because I I have many of them lying around.
0: What? Oh, I'll take it swimming then. <laughs> read in the pool, underwater while snorkeling. I'll go scuba diving and read, and I'll tweet about it from under water. How's that? Excellent. Just weird. <laughs> Well, what what kind
2: of music, when you get up in front of all those people, what do you play? Like Springsteen stuff or everything? I'll tell you. I've, I'm in three bands, actually. So the House Rockers are the main band that I play in, and that is like rock and soul, kind of classic rock. And then, like you said, we have a horn section, so we play a lot of Tower of Power and some Earth, Wind and & Fire and some 60s soul stuff. And so that's, that's what the House Rockers do. And then I'm in another band that's kind of an Americana band. It's really fun. It's 16 pieces. It's uh, uh, you know, kind of plays everything from the band to asleep at the wheel, yeah. And then and then the MacGold Band is the other band that I'm in, and that's that's kind of all classic rock. And you know, the thing about the Macworld All-Star Band is kind of fun is we kind of exchange song ideas for you know several months, and then you know whoever's leader for the year, and we we rotate who's leader for the year, says okay, these are the songs to learn. These are the songs that went pretty good the last year. Everybody go learn these songs. We get together, and then on the Tuesday before Macworld, we have one four or five hour rehearsal. Whatever makes the cut there that that everybody seems to have learned the same version of the same song is typically what gets played at the show. So it's kind of a fun thing. And and we have guys in the Macworld orchestra, man. We have guys who are like '60s rock purists. I mean pulling out obscure rascal songs and just really kind of crazy stuff <laughs> and those are the stuff that's really hard to do and then there's the stuff that everybody kind of has as the common common dictionary for rock music and that's the stuff that we tend to just we just tend to just rip off louie louie
0: i have Easy. a hard time playing straight covers i have a hard time playing the song the way the band wrote the song i'm always gonna not intentionally leave my mark but i just have a way of doing things i guess you're
1: christina aguilera
0: at no, it's that uh, it might be a big rock song, but I'm one dude, and maybe it's just more interesting to me with just me and an acoustic guitar.
2: Green has a great quote for a lot of the stuff we do. It's three great chords, 100 great songs.
1: <laughs> I was in an a cappella group in college. Uh, that was actually pretty good. We we were in competitions and stuff. And we ended up performing at Lincoln Center. And we got to the national finals. It was good. But, really? Um, yeah. Uh, I was very hardcore into a cappella in my college years. Uh, don't tell anyone but you're a weird dude i yeah i was a bass um and that's also where i learned uh to vocally percuss so if you ever need that you let me know you like beatboxing well in the acapella world that's not what we call it dave we call it vocal percussion beatboxing is about making a beat with your mouth i yeah, mean, that's not going to happen with vocal percussion in theory much of the, this is less true today than it was, you know, a decade ago. But the goal is to try to emulate actual drum sounds where beatboxing, that's not necessarily the goal. Like a Michael Winslow thing? Right. Like a Michael Winslow or Roselle, or potentially Reggie
2: Watts. But not like a doo-wop thing, right?
1: Right. Not like that. It was <laughs> This was like pop acapella it was where, you know, when you arranged music, you were trying to recreate the parts of the song as performed. So it was most of the time straight covers but obviously without any actual instruments. So, you know, when the bass people doing their part were trying to emulate the bass line of the song in the way that it sounded there, that sort of thing. I would like to see that someday, Lex. Yeah, well, I mean, now it's it's kind of... The the genre is very popular now. They, they sort of... They don't do auto-tuning. I'm sure they do, actually. When you say
0: very popular, what do you mean by very popular? <laughs> it's
1: very popular in the college circuit. I don't think you can find a college <laughs> that doesn't have... <laughs> Many acapella groups. No, but there was Ben Folds uh. hosted or was the judge on some game show, not game show, some reality competition show where it was a bunch of acapella bands. I, I, I don't know what it was called. Uh, that sounds awesome. Um, yeah. But, you know, now with, uh, the sing-off is what it was called. and But, you know, now I'm a lot of recorded that. acapella and there's, you know, bands who try to quote unquote do it professionally. Um, but they're about as professional as this podcast. Uh, but you know, now it's, everything's affected. So like when they record their bass lines, they'll, the recording is, is octavized uh, and octave down and the guitars have like fancy effects and compression on them to try to make them sound more guitar-like and all that fun stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of okay with that. And I guess this goes back to the auto tune thing. I'm in the business of making sounds when I'm recording a song. My job is to make sounds and I want them to be interesting and I want them to be, uh, whatever is in my head. And sometimes it's experimentation to get there. And sometimes it's uh, a process of experimentation to figure out what's going to sound cool. And I'm not as particular as as maybe most purists are about how I get there. I'm okay with banging on keyboards to get uh, a string section because I don't have an actual violin and I wouldn't know what to do with it if I did.
1: <laughs> I think you play it like
0: a guitar. Oh.
1: So if you could go back in time and and talk to, you know, when your f- mom was first teaching you about the guitar and you started to learn it, and you could explain to young Paul Kent what current Paul Kent would be doing.
2: How would young Paul Kent react? Wow. So I think young Paul Kent was fascinated fascinated with John Denver at 9 and 10 years old, and um, I think old Paul who isn't. Well, I think old Paul Kent would have said reach a little higher. No no disrespect to John Denver. <laughs> you know, I've I've got that same
0: exact thought about Kurt Cobain. I mean, at the when I was 13, I totally looked up to, to Cobain and now I look back and I'm like, "Why he wasn't that great of a guitarist?" <laughs> not a strong not a strong lead guitarist that guy. The heart wants what the heart wants. That's true. And music is a visceral experience, so you just kind of like what you like is what you like and i guess you can get intellectual about it but either something works for you or it doesn't agreed I think my 13 year old self would be like man you fucking
2: sold out <laughs> oh, wow. that's that's a good topic for a conver- for a for an episode
0: <laughs> the you sold out conversation yeah.
2: <laughs> the conversations with 13 year old you
1: okay i wonder if we could get 13 year old me as a guest that would be awesome you'd probably hit on him the whole time <laughs> 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 why wouldn't i hit on myself